0: One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com.
1: Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary
2: Good evening and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You're with Talk, we're on TV, we're on radio, we're online and we're on your smart speaker as well. Coming up, the war between Israel and Hamas reaches a crucial stage as a deal is struck to release 50 hostages being held in Gaza during a four-day pause in fighting, which starts tomorrow morning. Plus, national insurance slashed, alcohol duty frozen, a boost to the minimum wage. Jeremy Hunt announces a pay rise for millions, he says, uh, as he sets out a series of tax cuts in his autumn statement. And two people have died after a terror attack close to Niagara Falls on the US-Canada border. Good evening and welcome to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV. It is, of course, your home of common sense. And God knows we need it more than ever. We've got a dramatic show for you tonight as we bring you the breaking news and the developing story of an attempted terror attack in the United States which looks increasingly like some kind of planned car bomb which has resulted in the deaths of the two people who were inside the car the drama unfolded on rainbow bridge as niagara falls uh, was on the border checkpoint between canada and the usa there was a massive explosion caused when the car attempting to enter america from canada blew up Intelligence sources assure the intention of the bombers was to kill many more people in a much bigger event. And The shocking scenes come just two days after a warning was issued of an increased risk of attack in New York. The FBI terror task force are on the scene near Buffalo working with the New York State Police. It happened on the eve of the hostage exchange in Israel due to take place tomorrow morning. We'll bring the latest from both New York and Jerusalem on the show tonight as developments continue. Meanwhile, back here, we've still got an uneasy anger on the streets of Britain, whipped up by anti-Semitic speeches in some of the more extreme mosques here, witnessed in communities where anti-Israel protesters are still ripping pictures of child hostages off walls, and yet more pro-Palestine marches planned for the coming weeks. We'll be joined by Tom Much, Talk TV's war correspondent in Israel, where there are questions being asked about whether Benjamin Netanyahu should even be talking to Hamas about humanitarian pauses, ceasefires, and partial hostage release. Laura Dodsworth will be in the studio, fresh from speaking at a Christians for Jews rally this past weekend, where she revealed that there are now close to 100,000 Britons who have signed the October declaration, standing in unity with the Jewish population. We'll take a look at the awesome statement from Chancellor Jeremy Hunt and work out exactly what it means to you, your family and your business. Is there any good news? And I'll be having a pop at Gary Lineker, who's managed to sidle up with a controversial professor in America who calls Israel's response to the Hamas attacks on October the 7th a textbook case of genocide. Even people at the BBC are up in arms. Plus, we'll bring you The World of Woke and some incredible videos. You won't want to miss a second of it. It's the Independent Republican Mike Graham. Let us get it on. Don't forget you can get in touch with the show on all the socials at Talk TV and on the phones, 0344 499 1000. We'll take your calls tonight as well uh, on what this budget means for you. The calls will cost you the national rate. Um, Now, let's talk about what's going on uh, over in the Middle East because tomorrow we'll see the first set of hostages return to Israel after nearly seven weeks during a four-day truce deal which starts at 8 o'clock in the morning. The agreement will see 50 Israeli women and children returned by Hamas while 150 Palestinian prisoners will be returned to Gaza. Despite the headway, Israel insists this deal does not signify the end of the war, repeating its commitment to complete the elimination of Hamas. So it's still a terrible, terrible situation. Um, We've now seen a terror attack in America. Uh, Laura Dodsworth is here with me. Laura, welcome to the show. Thank you very much indeed for for being here. Um, The hostage deal kicks off tomorrow. There's a lot of kind of... Toing and froing, I suppose, is the best way to describe it in Israel. A lot of people saying Netanyahu shouldn't even be talking to Hamas. They're only giving up fifty hostages. There's still an awful lot more of them in the tunnels underneath Gaza. What do you make of it all?
3: I think this is such a difficult issue because how do you weigh the lives of these people in the balance? Now, the families of the hostages have said they didn't want partial hostage mm. release because you can imagine the agony. Yeah. If Other people's family members are returned, but not yours. That said, I think that um, Netanyahu, the Israeli government, must be under enormous pressure to at least secure the release of the children. Mm. You have to remember there's about 40 children who have been taken as hostages. And so there is is no equivalence, obviously, between the prisoners that they're looking at releasing from Israeli prisons with children who were illegally taken from their homes, and not just taken, but taken by a terrorist group which hates Jews. Yes. and During saw a them... horrendous
2: sort of outbreak of violence as well. Yes,
3: a day when we saw that they um, instigated mass rapes, mm. torture and killing babies. So if you're the parent of a child who's with a group that hates Jews mm. who did that to children... I don't even know. I mean, they must be in such physical and psychological discomfort yeah. that they could do nothing. So they must be desperate for the return of their children. That said, the hostage families didn't really want a partial release. I mean, this isn't the first time, obviously, there have been prisoner swaps. Israel yeah. and Palestine, have, uh, Gaza, have done it before. Mm. I mean, before it's been even more um, an even more um, unwieldy ratio uh not in Israel's favour. Right. This time, the people they're releasing are guilty of everything from stone throwing to attempted murder. But there are some minors. Are they? yeah, yeah, they're mi- they're minors, and of course, there's a lot of fury about the um, the types of offences that mm. Israel puts minors into detention for. I don't really, I don't really know yeah. the ins and outs.
2: Well, of that. I was uh, reading some information today that suggested that um, most of the teenagers are older teenagers. They're not, they're, they might be minors, but they're not children, if you know what I mean. No, they're mainly
3: um, 16 to 18. If there had been
2: any yeah. children detained, they've already been released anyway. Um, and many of them actually are from the West Bank as opposed to Gaza in the first place. So most of them are not even going back to Gaza. So, it's you know, once again, it's the Hamas kind of propaganda machine which gives out all of this information which everyone on the left here seems to swallow hook, line and sinker without question.
3: You're so right, and of course, yeah, So they're, they're minors, but they're generally sixteen to eighteen. Yeah. I think there might have been a few that are above the age of fourteen. No one under that age, and they have actually, you know, stone throwing makes it sound like it's just a minor yeah, offence, yeah. but actually, chucking a big rock at a soldier's right. not a it's it's not nothing. When it is comes it?
2: through the air and hits you from a great height, you know, it, well, it's it, pretty dangerous.
3: It, it could be dangerous, but I just want to go back to these children um, at the rally you mentioned before. One of the fathers uh, of one of the hostages was mm. there, so Emily Hand has turned nine right. while she's been a hostage. So she's been there for six weeks, maybe in dark tunnels yeah. the whole time. Has she seen daylight? Right. They have no idea what sort of condition they're in. There's a 10-month-old baby.
2: Mm.
3: You know, it's lived over 10% of its life yeah. now.
2: Incredible. It's absolutely incredible. In, as a hostage. Yeah. Let's find out what's going on in that part of the world. Joining me to, to talk about this further is Talk TV's correspondent. Tom Much is live uh, in Jerusalem. Tom, very good evening to you. Thanks for... Uh, for joining us. Um, obviously all eyes on uh, on your part of the world for eight o'clock tomorrow morning. Um, what's the mood at the moment? Because I'm told uh, quite a lot of Israelis don't want these partial hostage deals to be done. Um, obviously some will want their children back.
4: So among the people that I've spoken to, I'd say it's pretty firmly in favour of the deal. Now, in the Israeli government, you have various sections, uh, you know, various wings are represented. The more right-wing elements of the Israeli government, like the National Security Minister, Itamir Ben-Gvir, or the finance minister Smotovic have said that they are opposed to this deal, yet they haven't quit the cabinet over it, and, and the government seems to be surviving. I mean, I have to say, I have spoken to a number of families of hostages. I've spoken to a number of people who are in the Bring Them Home Now movement. and they're all pretty clearly in favour of bringing these hostages back. Now, I know that there were, were some concerns that Israel might be releasing a really, really large number of Palestinian prisoners, particularly dangerous Palestinian prisoners. Uh, people are remembering back to the Shalit deal of uh, over 10 years ago now where Israel got one soldier in exchange for about 1,000 mm. Palestinian uh, you prisoners know, uh, prisoners, one of those prisoners who then went on to mastermind the October 7th attacks. So I can understand why some people would have reservations about that. However, the 150 or so Palestinian uh, prisoners who are being released this time are mainly, as we've said, minors who are, you know, they're not the kind of people who are the sort of hardened criminals that have been released in the past.
2: Right. And who draws up these lists as far as who gets released from from the Hamas side and who Israel releases back into uh, Gaza?
4: So that's drawn up by the military and political leaderships on both sides. Of course, both sides communicate mainly via mediators in Qatar uh, over who they'll allow out and who they won't. It seems like the deal this time has been mostly focused on children, the lowest risk uh, prisoners uh, the palestinian prisoners who can be released and the prisoners who are also going to bring the most you know pr benefit effectively for the palestinian the hamas side to release is the children in captivity now the 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 trickier bit will, will be if we get on to further hostage deals those hostage deals will have to involve some israeli soldiers that have been taken prisoner in these attacks. And they might have to be swapped once again for actual you know, Palestinian militants who the Israelis have in their jails. Now, I suspect that that could be a more controversial deal. However, among the people I've spoken to, again, it seems to be broad sentiment in favor. And I should say that a last minute legal challenge uh, brought against this was rejected by the Israeli Supreme Court just before we went mm-hmm. on air.
2: And as far as a kind of incursion um, and a withdrawal is concerned, I mean, during this four-day period of calm, whatever you want to call it, it's not really being called a ceasefire, it's being called a pause, isn't it? I mean, does it mean that the IDF will pull out of Gaza altogether? Will they leave some people behind? How will that work?
4: I mean, I very much doubt we're going to see the IDF actually pulling their soldiers out of Gaza. They've done some fairly intense urban fighting to take up favourable frontline positions uh, in Gaza City itself. They have no reason to leave those as of now. Apparently, what it will mean is it will mean a halt to further ground. Uh, ground attacks from the front line. It will also mean an end to aerial bombardments of the Gaza Strip as a whole, but it definitely won't mean a pullback of the Israeli war machine, which, according to spo- soldiers I've spoken to, has made pretty rapid and steady progress.
2: Yeah, absolutely right. Laura, let me come back to you. I mean, it's an intractable problem, this, isn't it? Because, mm-hmm. as you say, there's going to be hostages who are left behind who might be related to some of those leaving, Um Could be brothers sisters uh, mothers whatever um and we've seen before haven't we some hostages being released while their relatives were still being held and and they 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 couldn't really say what they wanted to say because they were too frightened
3: absolutely intractable is exactly Mm. the word to use here because hundreds of thousands of people have been marching every week for peace yeah for a ceasefire and what they completely fail understand is Hamas doesn't want peace a ceasefire doesn't lead to peace in fact if you read Hamas's statement about this pause they said their fingers are still on the trigger Mm. right they're just waiting to do it all over again so this really is just a pause to try to secure the release of some hostages and it's all going to start again in four days Mm. hopefully enough humanitarian relief will get through to the Palestinians that need it But Hamas doesn't want peace. That's why this is so intractable. Everybody who's calling for a ceasefire should be calling for the return of all the hostages. Of course, Hamas won't do that. They're bargaining chips. And how can you actually ever arrive at peace with people who exploit the lives of children to pursue their aims?
2: Exactly right. Tom, how nervous are uh, the Israeli population about whether Hamas actually decides not to stop firing rockets into, uh, into Israel because they haven't really stopped for a very long time. Is there a belief that they will actually stop for four days?
4: Well, one of the interesting things is we've actually seen less rocket fire recently over the last couple of days and weeks. Now, that's not necessarily because Hamas doesn't want to fire them, but it does appear that the IDF have done quite a lot of damage to those military capabilities. Uh, In the first weeks when I was here, you would see, especially in Tel Aviv, you would see rockets above Tel Aviv two or three times a day. And when I say see, you can literally see them in the sky as they fly over and then they're normally destroyed by Israeli air defences. It appears that because a lot of those were fired from in and around Gaza City, that the IDF has actually managed to take out a lot of their firing locations. So it would seem, while the IDF has the clear military advantage here, I think that Hamas would be very, very uh, worried about breaking that truce lest, lest they get effectively the full wrath of the IDF come down on them like it has been going on over the last weeks
2: absolutely Tom thanks very much indeed for talking to us Tom Hutch they're reporting in uh, from Jerusalem where and we're only hours away really from uh, this handing over of the hostages I mean it's going to be a weird thing to watch as well because I'm you know I'm not even sure what the uh, uh, you know the kind of the handover procedure is I don't know how it's going to be done nobody's really very sure
3: I think the red International Red Cross has said they might be involved in facilitating it um, do you know I really want to see that three-year-old that that three-year-old released. Yes. Not physically see it myself. I just want to see her out. You know, yeah. her parents were killed by Hamas, mm. and well, she I mean, spent six weeks yeah. with, with the people who killed her parents. Yeah, it's I mean, just unthinkable. It isn't
2: really it? is. And the other thing is that we we see it. I mean, I saw some all last night, videos and footage that you haven't seen before, and you know, I haven't watched all of it because I don't want to watch all of it. But some of it is really awful. I saw something last night about um, a family who were just literally sort of crouching on the floor, two children absolutely in fear for their lives, their mother sort of trying to comfort them, trying to lie over them, as you heard gunfire getting closer and closer to the house. I mean, it's just unthinkable, really.
3: It is, yeah. People who've seen the um, screenings of the body cam footage seem to be quite profoundly altered by the horrors mm. that they've seen. As I said, at this um, rally at the weekend, there were um, a couple of family members of people who've been taken hostage. Yeah. And... You know, it really, it really brings the trauma, the trauma home to you. Of course, on the other side, we have people, um, you know, people are very concerned about what the, what the Palestinians are suffering. Mm. This is just the most intensely awful conflict. And what's happening over here is that there have been over 1,500 anti-Semitic incidents yeah. in this country since October the 7th, which is more than there had been for the entire year up until Hamas attacked Israel. Yeah. So regardless of what you think of the conflict or the actions of the state of Israel, it's Jews in Britain here who are also feeling the full force of an increase in anti-Semitism, which is something we just shouldn't be tolerating. We to
5: saw another
2: incident last night. It was a CNN cameraman, I think it was. He was going home in North London, came across a woman ripping posters off the wall. I actually know the bridge there quite well. Um, mm. It's just around the corner from Chalk Farm Tube. Uh, and the woman turns out to live in Primrose Hill. She's an artist. She's an Italian woman uh, who's had incredible um, um, ex- exhibitions. She's been in Vogue. This is pictures of her doing it now. Um, she went up to the guy and said, you're some kind of genocidal maniac. Why are you killing children? He said, why are you doing it? Um, she's been identified. I don't know whether the police are, are, are interested in talking to her, but she and her partner have apparently been involved in in lots of anti-Semitic behaviour in the past, and it just doesn't really bear thinking about that. People are going to the trouble of doing this, and then at one point she said to him, um, "Oh, I see the size of your nose. Now I know why you're asking me these questions."
3: It's just completely mad. You know, you can feel um, sympathy for people in Gaza. Mm. Um, and you could be a pacifist, but why are you ripping posters of hostages off the wall? I mean, that's an outright blatant, unpleasant, yeah. anti-Semitic incident. Those are the kinds of incidents I'm talking mm. about when I say there have been 1,500 yeah. since October the 7th. I mean, I want to say she's a nasty piece of work, right. but what's really depressing is seeing how many people are resorting mm. to these, um, you know, to these tropes and to attacking our Jewish friends in this country. Yeah. And that, that guy, the uh, the journalist who filmed that, I'm good on him for getting yeah. it, he said he cried on the way yeah. home because she personally attacked him, verbally attacked him. it's just horrible.
2: It's just really horrible. I mean, that's why you organised or helped to organise the October Declaration, um, which is now building in, in, in numbers of signatures, and you attended that um, rally on Sunday, uh, at which you spoke.
3: Absolutely, yeah. So Christian Action Against Anti-Semitism organised a peaceful vigil on Saturday night. I'm not quite sure the numbers. I think it's about eight to ten thousand people right. came, which is really nice. It was mm. very peaceful. Yeah, people listening. You know, the, the hostages were front and centre, so people were listening to the families. There was some lovely uh, was singing songs, as well. Yeah, Hebrew music, and and what was lovely was it ended as well with the um, Israeli national anthem, the British national anthem. Yeah. It was very patriotic, peaceful, right. um, lovely vigil. Great to see. Um, Jews and non-Jews there. I tell you what, there were Muslims there. There was a big Iranian contingent. Mm. There's quite a lot of Iranian support for Israelis and, and Jews. Uh, there were Kurds, yeah. people of all faiths. It was, it was really nice and a good counter to... The Saturday to protests, So some of the stuff that we've been saying. We'll
2: come back to that. They're
3: going to keep doing. Yeah. And so they're going to keep doing it until there's a ceasefire.
2: Right. Well, presumably they're now going to stop. I don't know. We'll find out. You're watching the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Uh, you're not going to want to move though, because I'll be exposing why France is making a mockery of our migrant crisis. and why Sadiq Khan has been doing all that misleading all along over you, Les. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back. You're watching the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Now, with their own Prime Minister under pressure to get on top of the amount of illegal migrants who reach the UK, 700,000 is the new figure we're supposedly hearing uh, tomorrow about the legal ones. That doesn't bother one French police chief who indeed is in charge of preventing migrants crossing the Channel. He's apparently been absent for 14 years while he spends time golfing and swimming. What a joke. Laura Dosworth is still with me in the studio. But first, let's bring in Tory MP, Paul Scully. Paul, very good evening to you. Welcome.
6: Good evening to you, Mike. Now, this guy is, has know.
2: got such a great record for not going to work. I thought he was working for the passport office in Britain for a minute, but he's even outdone the lead, the, the
6: boss of that. 14 years, uh, basically, on the lamb. Yeah, no, I mean, this is the first I've heard of this, but what we've got to make sure, we're paying the French a lot of money in the deal that we've had to... Uh, to try and reduce the number of people leaving their shores to come to the UK. We've got to make sure that that deal has been adhered to, because we're not getting the results in terms of the too many people coming here. It's a complicated situation. It's not just because of that. But clearly, if someone's away for 14 years, that doesn't sound right.
2: It doesn't sound right. But it gives you a pretty good idea as to why things are not moving in the right direction, doesn't it? Because the, the Belgians have managed to stop people leaving their shores by just simply intercepting the boats.
6: Yeah, you look, I mean, it is complicated. If you look at what we've been doing over the last year, we also had a deal with Albania, the amount of people that come through France from Albania has been reduced by 90%. We've done work in terms of having a detention centre in France. This is why we've got to get this law changed to get that Rwanda uh, policy literally off the ground, The planes off the ground, because that will act as the deterrent. We've got to reduce the pull factors in the first place. We do all the policing on the coast, but what we've got to do is stop those pull factors, stopping people wanting to come here in the first
2: place. Well, exactly right. Laura, I mean, you know, I don't really have a great deal of hope that uh, that Rishi Senate's going to stop any of the boats, do you?
3: Um, well, Suella Braverman's been very clear that uh, he's he's tinkering around the edges of the plan and mm. he needs to pass five tests um, for for the, the planes to take off before the next general right. election. It's not looking good at all. But just think, right, the, the, Half of all migrant crossings have stopped. Imagine how many more they'd actually stop if they went to work. Mm. I have to say, this story about the police chief did, did make me laugh yeah. a little bit. He's He's been playing golf for 14 yeah. years. 14 think, years. And he blames his second-in-command for having run a parallel hierarchy. I'm, now, I'm just going to say right now, I like the French, OK? So yeah. can I now say the thing I want to say, which is yes. none of this story surprised me at all, having lived in Paris for right. a year. You've got, you've got the... The, uh, the French person who doesn't want to work not only not a minute more than he's supposed to, but mm. not even that much. Yeah. And um, all the kind of the officiousness and the hierarchy and the bureaucracy. Yeah. And, of course, we found out, didn't we, last week, that the, uh, that £500 million treaty, you know, the money we send to the French to police the shores, they'd been spending on money. Mu- microwaves, vacuum cleaners and horse riding boots. And horse,
2: horse riding boots, horse strange riding thing. Boots. Yeah, I spoke to a friend of mine who's moved to France and he was saying... Maybe quite, golf clubs too. quite interesting trying to get um, Wi-Fi fixed up in France because people turn up and just look and go... They just shrug their shoulders and go away and nothing changes, nothing happens. You don't get the Wi-Fi. So, I mean, I suppose it's not all bad in this country. Um, Paul, I mean, speaking of uh, shrugging his shoulders, um, I know that you're not any longer Minister for London, but you must have been uh, not at all surprised to see Sadiq Khan uh, being exposed by the uh, Advertising Standards Authority for making a lot of stuff up about the clean air uh, situation regarding you, Les. Well, the, the
6: Advertising Standards Authority have just caught up with what we've been saying for a long time. He's had his deputy mayor trying to rewrite the um, uh, research documents by uh, by professors, he's just been over-egging it because he knows this is a tax grab. He knows this is a sledgehammer to crack a nut. He knows that there are way, way better um, methods of trying to control uh, pollution in particular areas rather than just penalising every small business, every charity, every low-paid worker that needs their car to get around in outer London where those options don't exist. He's got to sell his book, he's got to justify his cash cow that he's, uh, he's spent a lot of money on because he knows the money's gonna be coming in. And that's why he's been caught out. Yeah, it's
2: absolutely shocking. I mean, barefaced lies basically. And when the Advertising Standards Authority comes for you, you know, that's proper, you have got this wrong.
3: Mate, mate. Is what I yes, of say. course. Remember that but he's really got form for making up figures to pursue whatever his own yeah. gender is. I mean, don't forget, it's not that long ago he was saying that there were. I mean, this was an astonishing thing to come out with: four thousand deaths every yeah. year from air pollution. There is one death certificate yeah. that had air pollution mm. as a contributory factor. That four thousand is a total statistical construct. Yeah, it was garbage. Yeah.
2: Well, I mean, quite frankly, the advertising standards people have said, Paul. Um, that this was clearly based on uh, modelling, clearly based on estimates, and not based on actual yeah. factual figures, which I would, no, would say is, is a sickness of our modern sort of local and national government. People tell you things are going to happen, and when they don't, they just kind of forget that they said them. Yeah,
6: I mean, Lord is absolutely right. It was based on you know minutes and hours and what have you about people's shorter life expectancy and then it was all added up to come up with this mythical four thousand figure I think it even said in the uh uh in the statistical modeling paper don't use it don't extrapolate it to be used in that way right. um when you look at some of the other work that's been done as well conveniently you can't actually test whether the, the um they're they're right in their report until I think it's the year 2154 mm. because uh, Everybody that hasn't yet been born has to be born and die right. uh, before you can see what life expectancy actually is. That's just that's 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 manner from heaven for the for, for it's the man.
2: Bonkers, isn't it? So we'll all have died of air pollution by the time they can actually say whether or not we died of air pollution. There we are. Paul, good to see you. Thank you very much indeed. Laura, I know you've got a bug uh, that you want to get on, that you've got to get out of your system, um, about this story that we actually touched upon yesterday, uh, the BBC discovering that, in fact, the most dangerous thing to be during the Great Plague in London, um, back in medieval times, was a
3: black woman. I, I, I had to talk about this tonight because yes. it's the worst example of race-baiting we've seen for a while. So some researchers at the Museum of London have produced a report that says that black women were more likely to die of plague in medieval times. Now, the BBC has embarrassingly reported on this in a completely uncritical yeah. fashion. Any journalist just worth a little grain of salt would have looked at these figs and thought, you what? Yeah. Because over half of London died during the Black yeah. Death. Yeah, 35,000 people. Call it, I don't know if I'm allowed to yeah, call, I'm, it I'm, call it the Black because Death. Yeah, in the Because in the, in the article, they call it the Great Pestilence, which I'd never heard the I'd plague heard referred to at all. We, we grew up calling it the Black Death. Yeah. But anyway, um, over half of London died. That's 35,000 Londoners. Their research um, involved looking at the bodies of 41 Londoners. in three cemeteries, of which seven, I think, were potentially black. Were potentially. There was three in the final analysis, right? Three, they think, were black, and the rest were mixed race. So we're talking about a very, very small number of Mm. potentially black women. And they deduced from the way they constructed this sample that black women were more likely to die. And then they concluded that this was because of the devastating effects of pre-modern structural racism, Mm. just like COVID. So they took this tiny, statistically unrepresentative sample and drew this huge, sweeping conclusion. But they, they found something else as well, and they didn't draw the conclusion from it that you or I might draw. They found that all of the bodies... Black, potentially black, or white, were buried with care and respect and Mm. showed no signs of maltreatment. And the research authors say, but this isn't what you'd expect in a time of discrimination, so this needs further study. So the one thing they don't agree with needs further study, but the evidence that supports their hypothesis needs no further study. And the media, including our national broadcaster, reported on it totally uncritically. Although, to
2: be fair, even X, or whatever we call it now, Twitter, actually put a clarification out to say they didn't use DNA They didn't study the actual body tissues at all. Um, They just looked at the shape of their heads. I mean, which is pretty racist in itself, isn't it?
3: Well, I don't know if in terms of bioarchaeology that's that's robust or not. But the main thing is we're talking about 35,000 people who died and they're taking the deaths of a few people to draw a completely impossible conclusion. And really, the last thing we need... At the moment in this country is fake news to make our social cohesion even Fake news to wind people worse. up
2: even more it and create alarm. make younger people in particular believe this kind of, you know, mantra that all things that came from, you know, white supremacy in the olden days were somehow terrible um, and even even the Black Death was called the Black Death. They'll probably come out with this next because it killed a lot of black people.
3: It's total Incredible. misinformation.
2: Just misinformation. Shocking. Not surprising for the BBC. But, Laurie, good to see you. Thank you very much. Uh, Indeed. You're watching the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Uh, Brace yourself because your tax is about to change, I think. I'll deliver my verdict. And, of course, our money mentor, Georgie Frost, is also here to answer your questions. Phone in now uh, to get your questions to her. Do not go anywhere. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Dozens of XL bully owners held a mass meet-up with 62 of their dogs in protest against the government's decision to outlaw the breed. Have a look at this. This is extraordinary. It's taking place up in Coventry uh, at a local kind of uh, hideaway castle. And if you look at the uh, very happy-looking dogs, they all look fantastic, don't they? There's quite a few children there. Uh, the sizes of the dogs seems to vary from a relatively small pit bull-looking thing to a giant beast. It looks as if you could rip your arms off. Uh, But they all look lovely, don't they? But I don't know. What I can't tell you is what all these people are going to do when these breeds actually, so-called XL bullies, become outlawed and become illegal. I don't have any clue what they're going to do with them. Hopefully, they're not going to just let them loose and let them roam the streets on their own. But uh, these people that love these dogs, they love them. And they say... Oh, they're great with the kids. They never do any harm to anyone. No, they're lovely. Anyway, well, we'll keep an eye on that, shall we? Moving on, though, swiftly, Jeremy Hunt handed around 30 million Brits a tax cut today as he gambled on driving economic growth to save the Tories. The Chancellor was trying to rebuild the Tories' reputation as the party of low tax. But by not changing thresholds on personal income tax, we're still having to live with the highest tax burden since World War II. There was one hint of good news, though, for the ordinary pub patron.
7: I know that for many people going to the pub has become more expensive. I have listened closely to the persuasive arguments on alcohol duties from my honourable friend for Murray and my right honourable friend for Dumfriesshire Clydesdale and Tweeddale, fierce champions of the Scotch whisky industry. So as well as confirming our Brexit pubs guarantee, which means the duty on a pint is always lower than in the shops. I have decided to freeze all alcohol duty until August the first next year. That means no increase in duty on beer, cider, wine, or spirits.
8: Yeah.
2: it 's so charmingly old fashioned, isn't it i 'm old enough to remember the days when uh you could actually have a glass of whiskey while I the this matchbox. But I'm delighted to say, joining me in the studio, who's had a very busy day, editor at large for Times Money Mental, Georgie, Georgie Frost. A very good uh, evening. evening to you, Georgie. Also, Deputy Comment Editor at the Telegraph, Annabelle Denham, uh, is here with us as well. We've got some questions for you, Georgie, mm-hmm. and I'm going to be talking a bit later on in the show to a couple of uh, nighttime economy people uh, and a couple of uh, people that run bars and restaurants and nightclubs to see what they make of it all. Um, but let me ask you first, what do you make of it all?
9: Yeah, tax cuts, Mike. Mm. Great. But as you you would think, as you pointed out there, the amount that it will cost the government to cut national insurance contributions is about nine and a half billion. Mm. The amount that it will claw back by twenty twenty eight from freezing the threshold at which you pay national uh, you pay income tax will claw in about 45 billion. So you can see where they're getting the money from. But look, a cut there is welcome. My instinct with this is delve into the details a little bit more of everything. Mm. However, I do think there's more to come down the line. This wasn't really... It wasn't really a budget. It's It's not an election budget, right? It's it's supposed to be a tax and spending review. Mm. Remember the good old days when it was really boring? And actually now it's turned into a budget, but actually I don't even think now it's a budget because are we going to get Mm. these when the polls are putting Labour at 90% chance of becoming the next party to lead the country. So how many of these measures will ever see the light of day? Who knows? This was an election pitch, I think, more than it was a budget.
2: And they found suddenly some money, Annabelle. Um, It didn't sound to me like we were getting anything back. You know, I watched it and sort of slightly incredulously looked for signs of life and couldn't really see any. Um, And I can't work out whether I'm any better off or not.
0: I think a lot of people are going to be feeling that way. Mike, look, if you're being charitable, you would say that this is the Conservative Party finally returning to first principles, and effort there to try and reduce taxes, to look at supply-side reforms, to perhaps cut government spending. And indeed, national insurance for workers has been reduced from 12% to 10%. 27 million people are going to benefit from that. And those who are on the average salary of around £35,000 a year will save around £450 a year. It's the Tories trying to make work pay they're trying to incentivize business investment Uh, You know, all of these things are welcome, but as you've said, the tax burden is still going to increase. We are going to have the highest tax burden uh, since the post-war period. By the end of this decade, the national insurance contribution reduction really is sleight of hand. I think you can expect in a lot of the newspapers tomorrow references to Jeremy Hunt as some kind of magician, um, a masterclass in deception and misdirection taking place, because for every one pound, the Chancellor will let workers keep he's going to take four pounds through fiscal drag again full expensing it's good news but we have a corporation tax rate which was hiked in the spring budget this year which is now higher than the global average and i think a number of economists are going to be asking why corporation tax cut wasn't reduced at the same time. And of course, underpinning all of this, you've got forecasts from the Office for Budget Responsibility, suggesting that our economy is just going to crawl along over the coming years, growing at 0.6% this year, 0.7% next year. And that's coming off the back of years of essentially stagnation, lacklustre or non-existent expansion so you know two questions really to come out of this autumn statement first is it going to reverse the Tories fortunes they are lagging 20 points behind in the polls and I doubt it and the second is is this going to breathe life into our more abundant economy and I'm afraid I have my doubts over that yeah, as well
2: I think so um back to you Georgie I mean it's, it makes a change for them to give us something back because for so long they've been every budget there seems to have been more money uh, that we were paying out but I've got some questions for You're starting with this one um, from Max. Are the tax changes permanent or will they just change again at the next general election?
9: Well, it goes back to what I said earlier, is if they lose the election, how many of these will come in? Mm. Look, the changes to national insurance for employees, so not the self-employed, will come in in January. Those for self-employed will come in in April. It's very unlikely that will be reversed. It could be, we don't know. But, Mm. look, that will be the fifth or the sixth, I think, national insurance change in under two years. That's an extraordinary number of changes and people don't know whether they're coming or going. I think other things that have happened, the pension triple lock will stay.
2: The pensions went up, didn't they, quite substantially? They did
9: go up substantially, 8.5%. So the triple lock is a measure that was introduced in 2010, which means the state pension goes up in line with 2.5% wage growth or inflation, whichever is the highest. Mm. Now, we saw very big inflation last year, so April's pensions went up by 10.1%. Then we had wage growth at 8.5%. That was the highest of the three figures. April was the date when that was to come in next year. We weren't sure whether the government would decided to keep it. They clearly have. It's kicking that can down the road. Just to give you an idea, that is costing the government £30 billion. Mm. The money they found down the back of the sofa, as it were, right. to pay for all of this in the budget today, or the autumn statement, was £27 billion. That is how much is being spent extra mm. on funding this triple lock. Now, whichever party comes in is going to have to deal with that. Benefits again they also went up by inflation which is what they normally go up by 6.7 percent and we had a rise to the national living wage so there is money going out to those people and this goes back to their emphasis of this is a budget for growth or an autumn statement for growth. This is all about putting money into the hands of hardworking people and also we got the benefit sanctions that if you don't find work and you can find work you will be penalized yeah. very heavily so what will all the, these changes stay who knows who knows that's the problem who, who knows and this is i keep saying it's very hard to plan for your financial future yeah. if you're having so many chopping and changing that's for you personally yeah. if you are looking to invest in this country you've had how many chancellors how many changes right. it's not looking a very stable place to be and As you pointed out earlier, you know, growth forecasts are lower. We just look pretty, pretty Mm. stagnant at the moment. So while the Chancellor's painting this as, whoa, us, we've got inflation down to half, except I don't know what they really did, to be fair, Um, actually the picture is still pretty bleak.
2: It is pretty bleak. Annabelle. it's quite an expensive bribe if it doesn't work as well, isn't it? Because if it doesn't really make any difference, and doesn't change very much. But there's 30-odd billion missing out of the uh, Exchequer. Um, It's not great. What did you make of of Jeremy Hunt's kind of delivery? Because he tried to make a few jokes. He started off with a little uh, congratulations for a happy birthday for his wife. He then pointed out that uh, there was another Jeremy in the house. He then tried to uh, make fun of Rachel Reeves. What did you think of all that?
0: Well, I think it's part and parcel now with these fiscal events, and it's slightly incongruous. I think that was the first time that a chancellor had stood up and mentioned his wife during an autumn statement or a budget. I think we knew that he was going to make some reference to Rachel Reeves's book and the fact that she'd been accused of copying and pasting sections from wikipedia i didn't mind uh the jeremy joke it was reasonably self-deprecating and i think that will have enamored some people watching too. the chancellor but of course most people more interested in the content of his speech and you're right mike in some ways they've gone far enough to make those who are nervous about public spending going up those who are not entirely comfortable with tax cuts which only a couple of months ago jeremy hunt himself was insisting might be irresponsible it's it's not going to perhaps bring them around to the Conservative cause, but it also wasn't bold enough really to get proper momentum behind the Conservative government to feel as though this was them launching their election campaign, that they were going to be going to the voters with an agenda, something that would give people a reason to go out and vote Tory. Because what we've learned from the last couple of by-elections, of course, is that a lot of Tory voters are thinking that they might just stay at home. So I would have liked to have seen them do something with inheritance tax. I think that would have been quite symbolic. They froze business rates. I think they perhaps ought to have looked at how that could be reformed given that the incidence of the tax falls on landlords, all sorts of things that they could have perhaps done in addition to what they did today. But as I said at the start, were we being generous, we would say at least now they are looking at tax cuts. They've brought that back onto the agenda, which hasn't really been mentioned since the implosion of the Liz Truss premiership and that's to be welcomed yeah
2: indeed i've just got a copy of the uh, tomorrow's Sun uh, here georgie and they're yeah. going with the only way is sup chancellor hunt. jeremy hunt said a happy new year to 27 million workers with a 450 pound tax cut fast-tracked to january um so they got a name check as well i think in the house didn't they the sun uh, they got a mention from jeremy hunt uh, pat's got a question does the change of the living wage mean my wage will actually go up
9: well, it depends if you're paid the national living wage. Yes. So, yes or yes. no. I mean, yeah, I know, do. I
2: know a couple of my kids will be happy with the minimum wage going up because they've had a couple of minimum wage-type jobs. So uh, yeah.
9: Yes. I mean, again, it's another thing that people are arguing, you know, a lot of businesses who are looking at this autumn awesome statement and saying, wouldn't it have been lovely for us? To, because, of course, employees mm. pay national insurance contributions yeah. as well on behalf of their empl- employers, paying yeah. on behalf of their employees. That hasn't been cut. So Mm. they will be looking at this when they've already got... You know, energy bills are expected to go up at the next uh, price cap announcement, which is tomorrow. You know, the pressure on businesses at the moment is enormous. Now, what I will say, listening to Annabelle, that I absolutely agree, I think there was more that could have been done than actually... We may get a little bit later on as a sweetener closer to the election, but things like, I would have liked to have seen a bit of a change to inheritance tax, mainly for the fact that it is very weighted to having, you know, husbands and wives. Not everyone is married. Some people want to leave their possessions or their property to their brothers and sisters and those sorts of things. I'd like to see that a bit more simplified. Mm. And it's the most hated tax, whatever. however it's mm. painted as one for the rich. It's dragging too many people in. I would have liked to have seen the threshold thawed as well, especially mm. for income tax. You know, Four million extra pe- people will be paying tax by 2029. These sorts of things are supposed to be only for those who can afford it the most. Yeah. I don't think that seems to me no. a very conservative way of doing no. it. But like, especially things like dividend tax... We could, Cuts it would be nice to see that capital gains. Yeah. All of these, which could help small well, businesses, them enough, maybe
2: it leaves them enough room to do it uh, next Potten- time around.
9: Potentially. potentially. So I'll see what's on the cards. Yeah. So before we sort of say too much of disappointment, they didn't have a lot of room. It's all sort of fake money. This twenty-seven yeah. billion, based on you know revaluations of figures that they've. Set themselves yes. essentially, so right. it's, you know it's, it's, all,
2: it's all a bit it, made up, isn't it exactly. Yeah. It's a bit
9: like one kajillion pounds yes. that I've got, thank and you. then I've got more money, but they don't have a lot of wiggle room no. to, to move right now, and they've really taken it all yeah. up now, right? So,
2: we've got to go, we've got to go. Sorry, we could talk about this for a long time. Annabel Denham, thank you very much indeed for Daily Telegraph, Georgie Frost, Times Money Mentor. Um, we'll take more calls from you as well, of course, because we we'll want to find out if you even understand if you're going to be better off. Do let us know. You're watching the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, we've heard from the chancellor but my ideas are better uh, i'll tell you how he did on actually listening to me and we want to take your calls as well oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand do it now welcome back you're watching the independent republican mike graham on talk tv now it's time for taking the mic Well, it was a bit too much to expect, wasn't it? Last night, I gave Jeremy Hunt my manifesto for change in a series of points that he could adopt for the autumn statement today. Surprise, surprise, though, I have to report that he didn't go for most of them. He didn't change the tax threshold for the lowest paid so that they'd be better off. He didn't change the rate of VAT to 15%, as I suggested. He certainly didn't freeze payments to all illegal migrant hotels up and down the country. And he didn't freeze MP salaries either. But the Chancellor did reduce taxes for small business, And hopefully some of them will now see an opportunity to invest more, create more jobs and pay less national insurance. It might be a small victory, but it's a victory nonetheless. And as Rishi Sunak knows, getting even one success from a five-point plan is better than nothing, because that's where he's at, nothing out of five. No growth, no stopping the boats, no cutting the NHS waiting list, no reduction in debt, no halving inflation, whatever he tells you. Come on, Prime Minister, you'll have to do better. Now let's from he- hear from you a little bit closer to home. We have got David in Northampton who wants to talk uh, about the budget. David, a very good uh, evening to you. What do you want to tell me?
10: Good evening, Mike. Nice to nice to have you traveling on. Not at I all. thought it was brilliant. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. The budget. Really? I can't believe it. Yeah, oh, that's good. I can't good. believe how much people are moaning about it. To be honest with you, I've always thought you were self-employed. Am I correct or not?
2: Well, I mean, as a self-employed person, you will you will tell me, I no doubt, that over the past say ten years you spent, life has been more difficult for you because they put more red tape around small business. If you run a business, yeah,
10: Mike, oh. uh, we're, we're on about what's happened today, he's done away with the complete national insurance class. Yes, class two or class four. I'm four pound a week better off. I know it's not a lot of money, but he's done away with it. That's two hundred fifty quid a year.
2: Yeah. No. Well, listen, I'm done looking done at a little table in the sun here. If you're 100%. if you're making um, thirty thousand a year, you're make you're, you're better off by three hundred fifty quid. If you're making forty thousand a year, you're better off by about five hundred and fifty.
10: Yeah, which is yeah, That's good. That's good for business. Yeah, yes.
2: it is. I'm, well, it's this is better than taking. It's better than um, taking money away from you. I I totally get yeah. that. I
10: just think it, it's a he's bit complicated. The complete mass insurance class, he's, he's he's reduced self-employed national insurance by one percent from nine percent down to eight percent. Yeah. For the employed people in the country, he's knocked it down by two percent. That's two pence off income tax. Yeah. It's, it's the same thing. Now, if he said I've knocked two pound two two pens in the pound off income tax. People say, "What a great blow!" All oh, people are doing are moaning about it. Yeah. My pension. I'm of a certain age, but I'm about your age. Right. I'm looking at pensions now. I'm, I'm getting involved in pensions. He's making pensions, private pensions, much more. Better for the future. Well, they are. No, listen, I I totally
2: totally take your point. It's a win win to me. Yeah, it's (laughs) absolutely. Absolutely, it's a win win. Yeah, well played indeed. Um, Lots more of you will get on. Uh, Keep making those calls 0344 499 1000. You're watching the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Do not move a muscle, though, because after the break, you'll find out why Gary Lineker scored a complete own goal over Gaza. And we might be having a drink down the pub. So stay put.
5: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
2: Good evening. You're watching the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk. We're on TV, we're on radio, we're online, and we're on your smart speaker. Tonight, England's former Deputy Chief Medical Officer said his family was threatened with having their throats cut during the pandemic in the latest from the COVID inquiry. BBC Pratt, Gary Lineker scores another own goal after he endorses a video which criticises Israel for genocide in Gaza. And raise a toast as the Chancellor announces an alcohol duty freeze until August next year to boost British pubs. Now, we were asking you, how did you rate Jeremy Hunt's financial statement and what did it do for you? We just heard a very enthusiastic caller, Dave, uh, saying he's delighted. Uh, Kevin says, not changed, has he? I wouldn't trust him as far as I could spit. That's a bit rude. Uh, he says, it's smiling assassin. Jason says, not interested in corporate government. Andre says, red or blue, just can't vote for any of them again. So little done for hard-working taxpayers. Migrants get all the benefits. Enough said. Yeah, they didn't say they were going to cut any of those, did they? Uh, And binary, uh, interesting name, says never voting for red or blue again, which is a really unusual thing to say if you say you're binary. Uh, We must have a change of politics in this country. Well, we may have a change of politics coming up. Don't forget, uh, you can get in touch. We'll be talking to some more of you uh, later on. Get on all the socials at Talk TV and get on the phone as well. 0344 499 1000. Calls will cost the national rate. Um, But Gary Lineker, first of all, is at it again. The millionaire Match of the Day presenter rarely missed a goal during his career as an international footballer. And nowadays, he rarely misses a chance to suck up to his lefty mates that are making so much money for his podcast company. That's right. The champagne champagne socialist has managed to set the cat amongst the pigeons again with a ludicrously biased tweet about the Middle East, a place he strictly avoids, unless, of course, he's picking up a big paycheck in Qatar, home of the Hamas leaders and a place where his gay friends might well be executed. On October the 7th, Lineker was strangely quiet about the murderous rampage conducted by Hamas terrorists on innocent Israeli men, women and children. But today, he's seen fit to endorse a video conversation between arch-lefty and pro-Palestine campaigner Owen Jones and somebody called Raz Siegel, described as a notorious academic. Siegel's got something of a history on the subject of Jews, his response to the horrors of October the 7th was to write a piece for the Guardian on why, in his words, Israel must stop weaponising the Holocaust. In this latest video, described by Stephen Pollard of the Jewish Chronicle as a variation on the theme that Israel is committing genocide, Jones and Siegel attacked the Jewish state in a variety of ways. Lineker opined on his Twitter account, this is worth 13 minutes of anyone's time. And coming on top of his explanation of anti-Semitism to history professor Simon Sharma, this is quite the move, even for our Gary. But have no fear, the tweet has kept him in good with his BBC paymasters. They've just renewed his contract. Later on in the show, we'll be bringing you a first look at tomorrow's front pages. Before anyone else, we've got an exclusive look at the front page of the Sun newspaper. And here it is. New Year's Wahey. A champagne cork going off, or is it Prosecco? 450 quid off national insurance, £18 a week rise in state pension and duty frozen on all your party booze. And the Sun says he's increased pensions slash taxes for the self-employed and frozen booze duty, but the overall tax burden is still on course to hit a post-World War II record. Well, I mean, I don't know about you, but I think we've still got some way to go uh, before we can actually raise a toast, but now let's talk about it because Jeremy Hunt has announced an alcohol duty freeze until August the first next year, in a boost to the British pubs. The Chancellor of the Exchequer revealed the government would continue to help the UK alcohol industry and in pub trade by holding the levy for another eight months. It comes after ferocious lobbying from the drinks and hospitality industries, who say firms are struggling as consumers tighten their belts. Joining me now. To discuss this is nightclub owner in Glasgow, good friend of the show, Donald McLeod, and the CEO as well of Nighttime Industries Association, Michael Kill. Very good evening to both of you. Uh, Donald. Good evening. Cameron McLeod, I thought you might have a little drink there, but uh, very nice to see you. Um, Now, you guys both run uh, businesses that revolve around how much you can charge people and how many people are going to come out uh, for the night and stay out for as long as as, as you want them to. Um, How was it for you, Donald, first of all?
11: If it was a glass half empty, mate, actually, you know, it's less like sticking plaster than a gaping wound. You know, yeah. it's yeah. The previous duty really will just get swallowed up by all the other costs. I mean, the yeah. in you know, energy costs, rising staff and supply costs, and that gets swallowed up. But I th- honestly, what an on- own goal we miss here. You know, why did it not reduce VAT? I mean. We've been screaming, right? At the length and breadth of the UK, please bring VAT down. We're the highest, I think, in Europe, but yeah. Belgium six percent, Sweden ten, Spain, twelve, Greece, even but we're higher than Greece, thirteen percent. We are sitting there at twenty. If they reduce that, then it would you know, that keeping the VAT at that level neuters growth, it neuters investments, it, 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 it stifles spending, you know, it just why didn't you just open up the economy? And one way to do that, in my view, is is to reduce the VAT and bring it down to about 12% or something.
2: Yeah, I guess so. Because, uh, Michael, I mean, I guess the price of, of everything's gone up already since the last time um, the Chancellor tinkered with the taxes and everything else. So, I mean, what are you seeing in terms of your um, your footfall and numbers of people going out and about and spending money?
12: well the industry as a whole i mean has experienced about a 40% increase in operating costs but we're seeing about a 15 to 20% downturn in in footfall and trade because people haven't got that disposable income now uh while we appreciate on paper the uh, ni and self employed um provisions that have been put forward which we we hope will uh start to sort of support uh people going out and and potentially enjoying nights out particularly over the christmas period I think we're, there's a little bit of a false economy here in many respects because people are still very aware that inflation is extremely high, uh, the cost of living in you know whether you're a member of the public or whether you're a, a business is extremely high, so you can't afford yet, you know to go out and do the things that you want to do. So the reality is it's still very challenging, and as we heard um, with the national living wage, which I don't think anyone in our sector doesn't want to pay the, the people are the very, the, the very heart of our industry. But the reality is it comes down to businesses having to pay that. And when you look at the checks and balances position, if we're going to extend business rates, but national living wage um, is going to go up, then that's going to cancel each other out somewhat. So I, I think in many respects, as we start to delve into the detail, which is always the way with these budgets. We tend to find the checks and balances and and really come up with a position that tends to feel like we've been told a lot of very positive things. But the reality is, is we're getting very little in return in terms of the industry. And as Donald quite rightly said, the VAT would have been a prime opportunity for us to move forward. But we're asking for transparency from the prime minister because he's suggesting uh, cuts are going to come. So let us know what your strategy is. Let's be transparent. Let's find out. Um, and let's understand what the thresholds are, similar to the way that they did it in the pandemic. Yeah. Then we'll really
2: understand what their strategy is moving forward. Well, I'm assuming, but uh, listen uh, to both of you, that, uh, that David Cameron hasn't told him what his strategy is, and when he tells him, uh, then he'll be able to tell everybody else. <laughs> um, Donald, I've decided to join you. I've got a little glass of uh, vodka here. They've allowed me to have something get, uh, yeah. to share. So, Michael, feel free, feel free to, to slash your bar to both of you. <laughs>
10: Slush um, your bar.
2: What about this national uh, well, insurance thing? As an employer, Donald, is that any good to you, uh, to, the, to cut back on national insurance?
11: Know, it, that just gets swallowed up, doesn't it? I mean, by the, the rising costs. One thing that we're really annoyed about up here in Scotland is like 75% rate relief It's fantastic for small businesses in, in England and Wales. Hmm. But we're not getting it, not yet. We didn't get the last two um, decreases that, were, that came through. Uh, England and Wales, Scottish government said no and decided to put that money somewhere else like, you know, wage increases for nurses or teachers or whatever whoever was striking at the time seemed to get it but we didn't, the hospitality sector didn't and we are desperate for that. I mean, we really I mean, our costs are going through the roof the footfall's fallen off a cliff, we have the you know, as as you know LEZ coming in Yeah. yeah, you know, and There's just nothing there for small businesses in Scotland and the Scottish government really need to react to this and not just, you know, pull party politics. They have to go with the flow, in my view, and help Scottish businesses, and they're not doing so at the moment.
2: Right. And, Michael, you and I have spoken before about, you know, the the, the incredible kind of... um, um, roadworthiness, if for want of a better word, of a lot of the businesses in your, in, your, in your neck of the woods, in your industry, you know, night nighttime economy businesses. People still want to go out and enjoy themselves. But I don't know that many people, and I'm not hearing from that many people, who are thinking of splashing out um, over Christmas or splashing out this year because finally they've got a bit more money in their pocket.
12: Well, Christmas has started very late for many of the businesses, which is a concern. And, you know, we've heard from um, the RMT and and different trade unions suggesting that they are going to continue with the uh, industrial action, which, as we saw last year, um, had a huge impact on the sort of golden quarter Mm -hmm. as such. So I, I think we've got some challenges ahead. And I I can't help but feel that the manoeuvres within the budget, uh, the autumn statement that came out, were very much focused on uh, moving towards the footing for a general election. Um, You know, you just can't come away from the fact that it feels like early next year there could be an announcement and they're going to utilise the spring budget to steer votes and that's the feeling sort of from many of the people within our industry but uh, as we speak about you know the government are talking long-term strategy around inflation costs etc but the industry has dipped under a hundred thousand uh licensed premises in the uk for the first time that's thirteen thousand businesses gone and jobs to go with it so the reality of the figures don't lie yeah. So for us we need something robust we need something that's going to really sort of drive growth and VAT uh, is is that opportunity it's going to give them uh, many of the people um some uh some some ceiling space to actually um you know draw down and and reinvest i mean even the investment um Uh, strategy that's been put forward I mean no SME businesses have got the money to invest in infrastructure uh, even with the cash the the thresholds on tax so this is a large business uh, relief scheme Mm -hmm. so for me much of it is and we're still looking through it is a false economy and it's about checks and balances which is a similar scenario that we saw in the spring budget and previous budgets from from the current government yeah
2: and, Donald, as far as your business goes, I mean, are you still having, having trouble hiring people? You know, we keep hearing that we must have all these immigrants coming in because we need, um, you know, low-paid workers. There's a lot of people not working in this country, so those jobs need to be filled. What's the situation where you are?
11: Well, there's no shortage of people probably wanting to work, but public transport's a disgrace in Scotland, so them coming in, especially yeah. into Glasgow, and getting home safely, yeah. that is a challenge. Right. There's not enough taxis, um, there's not enough buses... So you know we we are okay as a business. I'm okay. People want to work at the garage and the cat house, but across the town they don't. The town is dead, mate. Midweek and even yeah. the weekends it's now impacting in the weekends. So there's not that many shifts out there for for a lot of people to give out. So it's. It's really, you know, it's a you know, a cycle of doom at the moment and we need to be able to pull ourselves out of it. And hence, that's why I'm saying about the, the business rates relief, really, that has to be passed on in Scotland, it hasn't before, and VAT bringing that down would encourage spending. And hopefully the council in Glasgow and, and government in Scotland would then look at the. LEZ plans or congestion charge plans and, and try and get build business back up, you know, bring public transport back to the fore. They aren't doing that at the moment. Uh, and so, um, you know, as I said, you know, the whisky industry is, uh, you know, obviously delighted. They, they were expecting huge rises, so there's a wee drag to them. Um, but for the rest of us, there's, there's not a lot to celebrate here.
2: No, there's not, and is there going to be a Hogmanay celebration in Edinburgh this year? Because uh, you never know with the SNP, they keep they occasionally cancel it, don't they? Well,
11: well, the, apparently there is, but there'll be no fireworks, and uh, I, I think they've decimated <laughs> the numbers that used to be. You know, yeah, they're really trying to stop us partying up here, but you know, there'll be fireworks and bangers at McLeod's house and say, uh, yeah. certainly there'll be a few drinks going, as
2: you know. Yes, absolutely, as I've uh, loaned to my cost on many an occasion. Thank you very much indeed. Have a good one, Donald <laughs> and, and, and Mike. Thanks very much indeed to both of you. Yeah. Uh, good I luck, luck trying to stop Donald McLeod having a drink uh, and some fireworks at New Year. No chance. <laughs> Not a chance in hell. Um, coming up, though, on the Independent Republic this week, we introduce you to Argentina's newly elected president, Javier Millie, uh, the chainsaw-wielding politician nicknamed the Madman, rather humorously, wants to cut down the size of the state and has even raised the prospect of being uh, allowing people to sell their own vital organs, right? The cosplaying leader, though, uh, will need to get serious soon because take, for example, what happened overnight when Argentina met Brazil in the football and fan violence erupted. I just want to give you a warning. Uh, that some of these images are a bit gory. A mass brawl in the stands of the Maracana broke out uh, ahead of Argentina's World Cup qualifying win over arch-rivals Brazil. Fans and police clashed in these shocking scenes. They were really cracking heads. Hordes of Rio de Janeiro police swiftly intervened, struggled to curb the melee before shockingly using batons on these brawling fans. I mean, look at this guy. I mean, it's unbelievable, isn't it? Argentinian's goalkeeper, Emi Martinez, only added fuel to the fire when he appeared to try to grab a baton out of a police officer's hand. Absolutely incredible scenes. And we know, of course, how difficult it is uh, to police those games. And I mean, even for the referees. Uh, Some people have been shot. It's ridiculous. I've got a little breaking news for you as well. Uh, Wembley Stadium apparently will no longer light up after criticism for not displaying Israel's colours. That was earlier on. Uh, This year, of course, you're watching the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Don't you dare move, though, because I'm going to tell you why this road is driving me absolutely crazy. And look at the death threats made to the scientists who advised the government on COVID. We'll be back after this. Welcome back, you're watching The Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Now, it's time for this. The World of Work. Now, you wouldn't think it would be that difficult to paint road markings, would you? I mean, the paint comes out in straight lines, it's pretty obvious where the middle of the road is, and you'd think marking off junctions and even bike lanes would be pretty straightforward. Well, I've got some bad news for you, especially if you live anywhere near the West Country because the Victorian seafront at Clevedon in Somerset looks like somebody drunk got a hold of the machine. North Somerset Council, in its wisdom, decided to make the town less friendly to cars and more colourful for the tourists. So they put in a coloured walkway along the seafront, which locals have branded the Balamori from hell. Then they added a segregated cycle lane, but drivers and cyclists were so confused over where to go, they had to bring in some design and engineering experts to fix it all. And now there's complete uproar from the residents. In fact, you could say... It's a total car crash. And, of course, as you might expect, none of this has come very cheap. The wavy lines, supposed to have been inspired by marine surroundings, are now likely to be painted over. And the cost to the council taxpayers of Cleveland? You won't believe it. One and a half million quid. Give me strength. That is The World of Woke. The World of Woke. Lots of you have been getting in touch, so uh, you can have your say on all the socials, of course, and on the phones at Talk TV, 0344 499 1000. Let's hear from John, uh, who's up in Newcastle, and wants to talk about pensions. Hi, John.
13: I certainly do, Michael. Yeah, very well, sir. What do you want to tell me? Well, you had a... The pension is going to be £221 a week. Yes. It isn't. No? If you get your pension before 2016... Right your pension is £150 a month less than from 2016. Why is that? Well, because there's two rates of pensions. When he he adjusted the pensions for people after 2016, older people are on the old rate because they could claim pension credits. Right. And the new people were on the, the figure that you're quoting now, 221. Right. And furthermore, just, just as a, just as an, as two asides, labour increased it by 75 pence a week. Right,
2: I remember that.
13: And do you know how much someone 80-year-old gets extra a week? I'm sure it's not very much. 25 pence. That's ridiculous. 25 pence. Apparently, it was what used to cost a bag of coal.
2: That's staggering. So they're not going to change that. I presume the logic of that is that if, they're, if you're older, they don't expect you to be around as long, so they're not going to pay well, you as much.
13: Well, if when you're eighty year old, you get twenty five pence a week extra. I'm not eighty year old, but that's what you get.
2: Well, it's not much to look forward to, really, is it?
13: Well, five shillings.
2: Yeah, exactly.
13: <laughs> bugger all. And just, Listen. And just a quick, just a quick thing about your two previous guests. Yes. I live in Newcastle, the northeast area. Yeah. There's new bars and restaurants opening on a weekly basis. Really? Up here.
2: Okay. And do they last or do Castle... they just shut down after a while?
13: No, no, they don't. No, they spend fortunes on them.
2: Right. Well, I mean, in maybe new there's Costello, a good place to go Finland... drinking. Hey, eh? Maybe it's a good place to go drinking. I have heard Obviously. that. And John, well, listen, course. thanks very much indeed. We've got another John in West Lothian who wants to talk about tax on pensions. Hi, John.
14: Good evening, Mike. Evening. Good another great show. Thank you. What um, do you want to tell me? Well, we, we spoke last night about uh, possible tax on, on pensions. And, yeah, it's great that he's announced this increase in the, the, the pension. Uh, but, unfortunately, if you've got a private pension, you're, you're not going to get it all because you're going to pay tax on it. Yes. So, it, so it's not as helpful as it would seem. It's another one of these smoking mirrors one. And let's be grateful for the fact that they're doing something, but it, it's not as it would appear to be. No. Um, well, look, I mean, so this that... is
2: the thing about this this entire autumn statement, stroke budget, whatever you want to call it, it doesn't feel like it's a generous thing. It doesn't feel as though we're g- being given anything back, does it?
14: No, not at all. It's, it's, you know, it's a help, fine, you know, and let's be grateful for that, but it's not as it first seems. The other thing I would like to, to mention, if I may, is that you were talking earlier on about uh, illegal migrants and, yeah. and the money we give to France. Yeah. Which uh, I... I, I just a poor uh, resident of the country, and I'm astounded that uh, the uh, media can find all these boats and film them and all the rest of it, but the French police can't do anything about it. No. And yet we're giving them all this money. It just seems... that well, Why are we throwing all this money at something which they, they seem to be totally ignoring?
2: Well, as I've said many times, you know, the money we give the French, they seem to have misunderstood. They think for every million pounds we give them, they send us some more migrants. You know, uh, which is not really the way around it's meant to work, to be honest. But thank you uh, very much indeed. Let's talk to.
13: Can I just say one other thing? Yeah, go on, on? hurry up.
14: Just, just, uh, I think Mr. Lineker should be unemployed. Who should be unemployed? Gary Lineker.
2: Yeah, he should be. Absolutely right. I mean, he's finally gone over the edge, I think, on this one. But uh, this one might just get him into a bit of trouble, I suspect. Um, Lots of you want to get in touch, so please do keep making those calls. 0344 uh, 499 1000. Uh, We've asked you earlier about migration hitting record levels. Are you concerned uh, with the population of the UK increasing so much year on year? And you've said yes, 94%. Unbelievably. Uh, Of course, Somebody should tell the Home Office. Let's talk to Lynn uh, who's in Glasgow, and wants to talk about that terror attack and uh, Niagara. Lynn a very good evening to you. Hi, good
5: evening, mate. Good yeah. to talk to you.
2: Yes, what do you want to ask me? Uh,
5: g- good to talk to you. We miss you in the morning.
2: Yes, well, I'm here at night, so don't worry. What do you want to tell yeah, me?
5: Yeah, OK. I'm a morning person. I get tired at night. I like to talk to you in the morning. But right. anyway... Uh, We have just spoke to my brother and sister-in-law who live in St. Catherine's who were telling us that in their attempt to get over to the USA today to visit Little, that all the the bridges were closed. The Rainbow Bridge was closed and there was a car bomb and that all the bridges are closed between the USA and Canada. Yeah.
2: That's that's right. In that, in that area where Niagara is, um, you can't basically move. The authorities have apparently identified the owner of the vehicle. The car came from the US side and was travelling towards Canada, is what they're saying. It seems to have been uh, a nearby New York casino before the incident. Um, they're not sure at the moment whether it's a terrorist attack. They're not saying that. Um, they're trying to identify the two men or the two bodies in the car, I should say. Um, but it's a bit of a worrying thing, isn't
5: it? Very much so. And actually makes you think about, it's not the first time that I've actually called, about the whole immigration thing. And actually, I would actually say to the politicians in this country Mm. and the whole of the UK and other countries, when you allow people to come into your country, perhaps you should have the stance to say, would you welcome this person into your home and into your family? And if the answer to that is no and they don't have any identification or papers, then perhaps that should be the thing that says no, send them back.
2: Well, definitely. Absolutely right. It makes no sense to do it any other way. Lynn, thank you very much indeed uh, for your call. Just another bit of information. The authorities, as I say, are trying to determine whether the car is registered to the driver at the scene. Uh, The condition of the remains has apparently made it very difficult. Uh, We've also been told that the terrorist task force from the FBI is searching luggage which was found inside uh, the car, Uh, to try and determine whether, in fact, it was some kind of bomb. Uh, So it's difficult to say at the moment. We'll bring you updates on that uh, all over the time uh, that we're here on Talk TV. You're watching the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here uh, on Talk TV. And we have got a panel of all panels for you tonight. Uh, We're going to say welcome to the Director at the Academy of Ideas, Baroness Clare Fox, Chairman of the Bow Group, Ben Harris, uh, Queenie for the first time and co-founder of the Together Declaration, Alan Miller. Welcome uh, to all of you. Um, a couple of things to talk to you. I don't know if you saw the breaking news just before uh, you guys got here. Uh, Wembley Stadium has announced that they're no longer going to light up the arch. You know, there was trouble um, when they refused to light it up uh, in memory of the Israeli citizens that died on October the 7th. Um, because everybody said, well, hang on a minute, you've lit it up for all sorts of other countries, you've lit it up for for, uh, all sorts of other reasons, why don't you want to light it up for Israel? So they've now taken what I regard as a bit of a coward's way out to go, well, I'll tell you what, now we're just not going to light it up for anyone.
15: Well, the only thing is, Mike, that it's about time that football got out of politics and that sport got out of politics because... Can somebody tell Gary Lineker that? Yeah, no, but it's been a complete pain that it's become a a real corruption of sport because we've had the kind of either taking the knee people making uh, political statements, people who then are, may- have got maybe more unpopular views mm. amongst the, the the kind of fraternal, you know, right-on pr- crowd, yeah. then getting ostracised and so on. The truth is, they are there to either play football or whatever it is, and well, in this instance, football. And I do think that in some ways it might be done for cowardly reasons, but it's actually a good thing. Yeah. Because I actually genuinely think that... that um, it's having a detrimental impact even on the fans. Yeah. It just kind of well, that's
7: it. what annoys me about it, that it's not bottom up. It's not fan support that created all no, this. Exactly. The rainbow flags, right. the, the, the kneeling. If if that is the case, I think you can accept it. That's mm. what the fans want. That's a natural reflection. Yeah. But it's the opposite. Right. It's the fans are silenced, and whatever's going on in the pitch with the latest uh, political campaign is, is front and centre, and that's not what football is about. No, in, in fact, I mean, they've also, a also football banned football a fan
2: poppy, yes. haven't they? You you can't put a poppy on it on, on a football shirt. Because it's supposedly a political well, right.
15: one of the things which on the fans' is. point, which was which was really disgusting during the whole obsession around Black Lives Matters, was you actually had people in senior positions in sport saying that the fans were being racist right. because they. Because they booed.
7: And now we know a lot more about Black Lives Matter as an organisation. It turns out the fans were right.
16: Yeah, it does turn out they were right. Yeah, absolutely. I I think the thing is that it also reflects that there's a kind of contempt for fans generally. I mean, if you see last week, the discussion Mm. and the weekend before the two-tier policing, we talked about that and this whole idea that football fans are... Uh, sort of almost a species apart yeah. of them and uh, sort of a lot of contempt heaps on them. So on the one hand, it's been instrumentalised, the sport, so that we should see less of that uh, in terms of people having to do these things. But at the same time, I actually have quite a lot of time for football fans. I think for the most part, well, our friends, neighbours and people yeah, uh, around yeah, us. Absolutely. So. Millions of them. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is the thing. I mean, Claire and
2: I were involved in a Brexit debate this, this week at uh, somewhere in the, in the West End. And I said it's a bit like the, the, the Remainers sort of treat the people who voted Brexit as sort of not as clever as them. And the football fans get the same treatment. You know, all they're thought about as well, they're not too bright, are they? So we'll just tell them what they can and can't do. And they assume um, that they are racist, bigoted, working-class white men all the time. And it's completely right. Well,
7: it's an exemplar of something bigger, yeah, though, it's That yeah. in, in politics. I mean, Claire can comment on this better than I. But where are the, the working-class voices in Parliament? The reality is that, you know, particularly the left talk about wanting to represent ordinary people all the time, but they don't actually want to hear the views of ordinary people. Football fans often put those views across in a a raw way that is politically incorrect, unfortunately, for the the mainstream media nowadays, but it shouldn't be because that's the country.
15: Yeah, Yeah. I I think you've got a couple of things, haven't you? I I mean, just on the debate on Brexit last Mm. night, because it is a good example, after Mike, you had to come and do the show... My speech was interrupted largely by a, a baying mob.
8: Right.
15: The funny thing was, was, that if you wanted a caricature of a baying mob, there could have been the football fans, but of course they were the theatre-going middle classes, so uh, <laughs> we weren't allowed to say that. But they wouldn't let me give the speech. But then I was kind of interrupted by Andrew Marr, who's making a point of order. He was on the opposite side, and he said, "Could you explain to me why so many people who voted Leave were ill-informed?" You know, and I pointed out. Right. Uh, <laughs> That, that Such a in, I, it, well, the whole thing, you know, it feels like a throwback, doesn't it? But obviously, I was pointing out that the when I went and talked to student groups in the build-up to the 2016 referendum, they couldn't tell you the difference between the European Commission and the European Parliament. Certainly, had no ideas the about European what was example, going on. And then I was saying <laughs> when you go into when you went and talked to you know ordinary people working in care homes, working in factories, just you know guys in in, yeah. in bands bike bands and football fans. They were all arguing over it, yeah. right? And they didn't all agree all the time. And I mean, it wasn't they were all Brexit, but they were all debating mm. and they knew yeah. a lot more. Yeah. But it was the presumption, oh, but that's the, the thing.
2: arrogance, Absolutely. even well, at Well, we this saw a bit stage, of that. We saw a bit of that. I mean, we're going to look at some of the, uh, the COVID inquiry stuff that's been going on. Uh, Professor Jonathan Van Tam's been up this week as balance as, uh, as, uh, 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 and uh, Witty. And listening to the way they talk about how policy was made and how they were advising the government, but the government were too stupid to understand what they were saying. I mean, it's quite worrying. I mean, you've probably got a lot to say about this.
16: Well, I have, but I think the problem is it's very easy to start saying things like that. They're all too stupid. It's a bit like Brian Cox said it. Oh, yeah, it's a problem with science learning. Yeah. As though somehow we can't make political decisions. Right based on what's required. And the idea that the science, the science, that in itself is unscientific. It's yeah. crass and irrational, right? right. What you've got are, uh, as a method of inquiry, that science. Then you've got ideas that can deal with certain things and mitigate risk, but there's costs and there's benefits. And that is the job of political... Uh, leaders to assess and evaluate and unfortunately they outsourced a lot of their responsibility Mm. and some of these people got far too much power and now they seek to sort of cast blame because it's become irrefutable I think that it's become very clear the damage and harm the lockdowns and impacts have had however this so-called inquiry which doesn't even want to assess whether we should have had lockdowns or not uh, seems to be leading in the direction of, of, kind of coming up with a conclusion that we should have had them slightly earlier yeah. and longer and harder and then it would all been OK. Yeah. So it's somewhat of a travesty and it's insulting to the public. They're making out, aren't they,
2: basically, Ben, that uh, if Chris Whitty had been a bit quicker off the mark, not so many people would have died. No evidence to suggest that at all.
7: Well, what worried me throughout COVID... Obviously, they would have been talking about this in government, but no one was saying, "Well, this is how many we think the lockdowns will kill." Yeah. Right. And there's obviously a number to that. They weren't debating that. And my suspicion is, it's, it's difficult to prove, but I think you can look at a lot of statistics that support it. My suspicion is that the lockdowns probably killed more people than they yeah.
2: they say. Well, they're still doing it. And as that
7: well. right, and that should be front and centre in this debate. And you know, there's there's other stuff about. I think the, the vaccines. A lot of people have forgotten what the government tried to do: vaccine passports, mm. vaccine yeah. mandates that were stopped um, by the uninformed idiots yes. in the in the in the public and the commentariat. But you know, actually, again, they were right, and the government uh, I think saved themselves a lot of a lot of yeah. uh, unpopularity with that. So um, the, the scientists yeah. are, are, are learned people in a lot of cases, but. Um, they, they make a lot of mistakes, and we've got to be able yeah. to say that. But
2: that's it. And also, for all of the sort of, you know, modelling that they did and all the kind of, you know, wargaming that they did, they didn't ever see the way that humans would actually use all of this technology, like the way that people would, uh, if they wanted a day off... They'd go and zap themselves with their phones onto every single you know, QR code down the high street they could find because somebody there going at some point would have had COVID and they'd have to take the next week off. Yeah. And that, nobody could see that that was going to happen.
15: But it's also, look, you know, the thing that's so depressing at the end of the COVID period is that something which should be a, 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 an area of life that we celebrate, which is scientific endeavour, scientific breakthrough, medical uh, help when you've got a, a pandemic on, has been turned into an argument against the public and an argument against democracy. Because what, what, the, what we're concluding now is, if only the scientists had been in charge, Right. well, the thing is, they can only give you a part of the story. And I think, right. Ben, and, well, you both said it really eloquently, I, I, I simply think that when you don't take into account the broader impact of depriving society of civil liberties and democracy, you know, you can sort of say, well, we saved lives over here, but you destroyed society. you yeah. yeah. destroyed the economy, and you actually have got a nerve to suggest that democracy should be suspended because you happen to have a scientific degree.
7: But I think, yeah, and this is a point about scientists generally, that they tend to be very expert in a certain yeah. area, but right. they, you know, not, not in a, not in a wide area. And yeah. sometimes, you know, you can be right on the certain area, but wrong on the big picture. Right. But the politicians
15: hid behind them. I just want to let them yeah. off. Yeah. Yeah. The scientists themselves, which it has come out in the inquiry, to so a certain extent, they became the people that they put them on the telly mm. and then they'd say, oh, the science shows, the science And they but obviously they loved it, them, didn't
16: they? You right? like, could tell they really enjoyed it. It was an it. of responsibility and you would have thought that a government that had such a resounding... Uh, mandate would have had some more backbone uh, and would have had some uh, uh, principle and commitment to ideas. I mean, Boris writes very eloquently about Cicero Mm. and others, yet when push comes to shove, we saw all sorts of things, vacillating, changing, turning on, and not having principle commitment. And uh, the thing about wanting to be popular and not making the difficult decisions, and then also... Uh, outsourcing your responsibility and saying they're the ones. Right. We've seen it in business. We see it in politics too much. Focus groups, consultants. But- Trying to be popular is exactly what's killing the government
2: now because that's what Rishi Sunak's doing. But let me let me it's drive you away deal. from that for a minute because there's something that I, wanna, I want you to see, which is unbelievable. Uh, and this is the Taliban. Uh, this is the Taliban's latest manoeuvrings that they've done. And they've actually started training people, believe it or not, to roll escape. Now... That might, on the face of it, look ridiculous. But actually, if you could imagine how agile they could be running down a street on skates, coming after you. As Somebody said to me, yeah, but all you've got to do is presumably get away from them by going into a field. We won't be able to follow you. But no, I mean, it's quite worrying, isn't it? So the Taliban, um, in Afghanistan this is, skating around, it's quite weird, isn't it?
15: Yeah, but the thing thing is, I'm looking at it, rather than thinking it's weird, I'm thinking, God, I wish the met police to do it because it might be able to catch them (laughs) right i think it's quite impressive in other words obviously what's happening in afghanistan is very worrying because obviously a taliban-run society is not a place where you'd want to be freedom lover a woman A girl who wants an education, or anyone who believes in anything democratic because they're gonna do you. So them catching up with you is scary. But as a means of transport,
7: like the Nazis built built motorway. Very quick
2: <laughs> way to get through London. The other story that I wanted to talk to you about was Angela Rayner. She's posed for uh, and she's done an interview with Vogue magazine. I actually quite like Angela Rayner, even though she's blocked me on Twitter and refuses to talk to me. Um, she's wearing an outfit worth three and a half grand. Now, I think that's quite funny. There will be people who will say, Oh, she's meant to be a socialist. What's she doing wearing that uh, that kind of clobber uh, for, a, for a Vogue interview? But I don't really what care. You, what, what, look, if you're getting an interview on Vogue, what are you going to do? Make a point out of
15: some chippy working class thing right. of saying, I'm wearing the cheapest possible clothes you can get. They go, would you like a £3,500 coat? I tell you what, you go, yes. And then she sell actually it. She does a good interview. And then in sell there. it. Yeah. Well, yeah, but she's none. Done I mean. a good interview because her, when you read it, rather mm-hmm. than, I mean, it's a beautiful coat, by the way. She yeah. looks great. But when you read it, and this is to Angela Rayner's credit because it's back to what Ben was saying, she makes a point, what everyone thinks of her politics, that people say she's shouty, but right. she says she's passionate about politics. Last I'd night, rather go, if, she,
2: I, if she was the leader of the Labour Party, oh. I might vote for them. I would yeah. never vote for Starbucks.
15: Well, I, at least she represents. I mean, you know, some of it might be a bit faux and all the rest of it, but people will say that all the time. I got a bit of time for her, and I think she has a
16: hard time. I, I actually saw her speak at something recently, a comedy night charity, and she actually was brilliant. And uh, the, her counterpart, who we should name Nameless, was wooden and not particularly. Oh, good.
15: I was there. Yeah, she I was know. really
16: good and very she funny, was and I thought. Unfortunately, when I actually spoke to her about the unions and mandates uh, for vaccines afterwards, she she wasn't as accommodating. But I think the thing is that about being aspirational, and, of course, it's something that Margaret Thatcher understood, that the the, the whole idea that somehow working people want less and not, that's the idea of the technocrats that say we have to have limits and restrictions. You have to to agree. But the idea of being aspirational and wanting more things and better things and developing and growth, that should be something for everyone. I think that's a great situation. And, in fact... I, where I, I, you know, I don't like some of this kind of theatrical stuff because I think Labour's uh, distanced itself mm. and has contempt for Labour now. Yeah. And I think that's what the problem well, is. Well, for its traditional values, yeah. You know,
7: yeah. it's, it's, I, I remember the Blair quote all those years ago, I'm relaxed about business. And what they're trying to do is obviously signal that they're open to the middle classes. Yeah. And it's a sea change from Corbyn. And, you know, whether whether there's, there's anything other than cynicism in that, I don't know. But I think a lot of people yeah. do warm to it. Yeah. You know, and a lot does. a lot of people think she looks great. And if great one, you know, and if one young doing,
2: woman yeah. in the north of England decides because she's seen Angela Rayner on telly that she might fancy becoming a politician, then that's, that's the job done, thing. isn't it?
15: I think, pro- I think the problem for Labour more generally is, is that they've got stuck with identity politics and not class politics yeah. or any kind of uh, pro- politics of principle. Mm. And we've seen that that's tearing them apart in relation yeah. to the Israel-Gaza situation as we speak and also on the gender question, because for all I'm saying about... Angela Rayn is straight-talking. She will not break with the uh, nonsense the around madness. like that is sacrilege.
2: sacrilege. She can't do it. She can't got to do take it, it break. she's
15: a straight-talking woman. Yeah,
2: I know, which is absolute bonkers, isn't it? Uh, you're watching Independent Republican of Mike Graham. Stay in your seat, because we'll be back uh, with more of tomorrow's news. Hot off the press. Do not go anywhere. Welcome back. You're watching the Independent Republican Mike Graham on Talk TV. We're back uh, with all the uh, the panel, and of course, the stories coming up in tomorrow's papers, and of course, all the front pages this morning, guys. Uh, very much on Jeremy Hunt uh, easing the tax burden. But um, Ben, I'll come to you first I'm with Ben Harris uh, quinney here uh, from um, uh, uh, f- from the panel. What I mean, what is going on here? Do you see this as a tax giveaway? I don't.
7: No. No. Look, we still have the highest tax burden since records began. Yeah. Um, and there's been tinkering around the edges. I mean, there, there are some good points. I think it should always be the approach to take the poorest out of tax first, yeah. and, and to try and reduce that burden. But it's nowhere near enough. I mean, I don't want to get into the dry economics of it, but no, the national debt is, is immense. Yeah, it's we ridiculous. are effectively bankrupt, and that's not going anywhere as a nation. And they need to, they need to cut uh, spending, and they need to cut taxes.
2: Yeah, but a lot, I've had a couple of people tell me that national insurance-wise, it's been good for the self-employed. Um, I don't know whether you think that that's the case, or whether you think that it's all just a bit of a pig in a poke, really.
7: I think there's there's elements of it that are good for for startup business, for small business, and that's positive. But again, it's it's tiny stuff, and they've yeah. they've you know they've got a huge problem to solve, which they're not going to solve by the next election.
2: Yeah, New Year's Wahey is The Sun's front head front page headline saying everybody's going to get on the lash because it's going to be uh, the price of booze is not going up.
16: I think that's probably wishful thinking. Uh, well, we've had the, we've had the highest taxes uh, on duties on beer in this country uh, for years, and it's an astronomical amount. But just on the point of productivity and tax cuts, and the lack of ambition, the lack of uh, investment, long-term planning, a robust approach. This is Britain, right? So you think about us uh, in terms of Victorian period, engineering, tunnelling to the future, innovation, and what can we do now? We're tinkering with yeah. tiny amounts. We should be having a, an ambitious 100-year plan where we yeah. think, how can we have investment, R&D, infrastructure, house building? Yeah. What does it mean... Uh, how can we get people paid more money, how can we get companies that are earning more profits reduce the whole welfare situation? Why is it that so many millions of people are not working, haven't gone back to work? We have sluggish growth. It's been like that since although the Although, seven- if you listen
2: to Jeremy Hunt today, he was saying that some of the biggest tech uh, companies have moved into Britain. They've chosen well, Britain over um, other countries in Europe. Is yeah. that is that not something to be looking forward to?
15: First of all, some of that's true, although it's also interesting that during the online safety bill, because they absolutely ridiculously brought in the threat to encryption, for example, yeah. with overregulation, A lot of big tech companies said they wouldn't operate in the UK. So, you know, right. um, I think there's contradictions there. But I think the point that Alan's making is very important because, um, you know, you can say, oh, we're going to free up planning. Then you look at it, it's like some kind of very peculiar, detailed plan about, I, I mean, I un- again, we won't go into it. It's about local authorities yeah. being able to get some money back, keep the money. Anyway, the problem with planning at the moment, is, is that it's absolutely, completely drowning in regulation yeah. and red tape, which this government brought in in yeah. different bills, in well, they're the environment very good at red tape bill, in, in the levelling yeah. up bill. So for me, there's a, there's a massive contradiction that goes on all the time. These small things, actually, it's not bad budget. You can look at it, it's not bad. Can, fair enough, fair enough, quite like that. But ultimately, there is nothing to indicate that they know how you can make growth yeah. happen. No, there isn't. They've got happy
2: NI year on the front of the mirror. And best. net zero is the and, big... And net zero is a problem. Do they take us all for fools on the front of the mirror there? But there's just something we're good at. Uh, it's a piece of the times here. Finally, a sport we're not rubbish at. Britain wins a litter-picking World Cup. This is what we go. Um, apparently, it's been um, uh, won by Alexander Winship, Jonathan Winship and Sarah Parry, who competed under the team name The North Will Rise Again. So maybe that's something to look forward to. Um, I like the idea of the North rising again. Don't in the, the Spogomi World Cup, I don't even know what that is.
15: Well, neither does anyone else. I have no idea why the Times have done this. I mean, it's quite a big a place kind of, they've done. It's it. a
7: very, it's a very cheerful story. I think that's a much better way to save the environment than standing in front of cars. And right. Oh, I think good. picking up litter is not too bad. It's not too bad. Well, it unfortunately, we do not collecting. Well, the
2: trouble <laughs> is they don't pick up litter in Britain, though, because you walk around the streets of Britain. It's one of the most untidy countries in the entire. Oh, is this world. an
7: international tournament? Is it? We often yeah litter yeah. picking World Cup. Yeah. Lists, I Lists think the, thing, the picking, point is it's paid. Points three are awarded of the time. for the
2: amount and type of rubbish collected. Burnable and non-burnable rubbish earn ten points per 100 grams. Cans and bowls twelve points. Plastic bottles twenty-five points. Yeah, so they had a competition. It's something to do with uh, Japan where it's all happening, apparently. Um, there's another interesting one here. A truck ad has been banned over environmental harm. The Advertising Standards Authority uh, has been having to go at our mate, uh, Alan, uh, Sadiq Khan, this week, saying that he's been lying again. Yeah. Um, they've now decided they need to ban uh, a, an advert for the promotion of Toyota's high-lux pickup truck uh, because it condoned the use of vehicles in a manner that disregarded their impact on
16: nature and the environment. Preposterous. That's ridiculous. It's preposterous. But firstly, I mean... What The criteria for this, what is it? Who's deciding? How is this part of the ASA standards? And you can just see how... And we were just talking about the uh, problem of net zero yeah. in the budget, but the whole outlook of thou shalt not do that is a secular faith yeah. that doesn't have all the benefits of religion right. uh, and has all the terrible elements of the, the most draconian parts of some kinds of uh, authoritarian religion. So you're not allowed to to say certain things. You're not allowed to think certain right. things. You're not allowed to question certain things. And Worse the than idea that, you that, can't advertise it. Yeah, the that idea crazy. that nature somehow is this thing like your mother yeah. and you have to be really respectful. We have only got to where we've got by dominating and transforming nature and interacting it with our imagination right. and curiosity and creativity. And all of this is deadening that, that whole idea, it, and it patronises the also, public so much. This is, an ad, this is an advert on Facebook, right, which I certainly
2: haven't seen, Um uh, they say that it showed a swarm of vehicles driving at speed through off-road terrain, causing dust to rise. Yeah. Well, is that what you do? But, you're but doing? It's also,
15: it's the it's the Toyota Hilux pickup truck. All I'm saying is, and there's a swarm of vehicles, and you think we've just discussed the problem, the the, the autumn statement. I want factories right. all over the place. Creating Toyota Hick, what Hilux, yeah. Hilux, Hilux, Hilux. Hilux. Hilux trucks, right? Yeah. And I want swarms of cars all over the place at speed. In other words, you want a society that's creatively and what is our society yeah. doing? It's banning the advert but in case anybody gets the surely, idea that a lot of pickup trucks together yeah. might get dust in your
7: eyes. Pickup right? I mean, trucks do are well. supposed to kick up dust. No, aren't they? But exactly. I think in a general sense, we're gonna need a referendum on the whole net zero thing because yeah. it's the most expensive policy in history all of these restrictions on what you can do, what you can advertise, yeah. what you can say, it's going to come to a point where we're going to have to have, you know, a Brexit-level referendum on it because it's going to destroy right. the country. It will. Yeah. It I mean, I, will.
2: I, I I, think that... But every politician you hear they mention it, it's very hard to find any mainstream
16: politician who will say, this is all rubbish, it's all cobblers, we're not going well, to Well, that that's it. changing, though, now, yeah, because what's happening rumble. is in the Conservative Party, they saw what happened at Uxbridge. Now you've got things like Mark Carper Department of Transport, not funding things like... Uh, active travel, livable streets for LTNs. Yeah. Rishi saying, let's have an inquiry, although we've just seen with this inquiry what that might mean. But I think the thing is that. Um, they still then say, "Well, we we'll need net zero. But when you actually yeah. ask, "What does it mean? It, it. What yeah. are the consequences?" Yeah, is I've been asking be for power a cuts, stopping yeah. you traveling, shutting your streets. Then people say no, and yeah. I think people are recognizing that there's going to electorally in this election year have major implications. And when the GMB uh, union is saying things like, "Our working people are going to be damaged as yeah. well for labor and labor constituents across the board," there's a recognition. You can say one thing in the abstract, yeah. but specifically. Real life experiences, people are not having it. So it's going to, you know, they, we're going to have to see. And that's why together we've got a No to Net Zero campaign. Yeah. Well, well, I, listen,
2: yeah, well I say it all the time the you know, electric car uh, sort of, you know, yeah. um, miracle is, is, is fast becoming less of a miracle. And people are seeing through it and going, well, what's, how much is an electric car worth after five years? Nothing. Yeah. So people are going to stop buying them. I, I think the,
15: the, the problem I've got is that we, you know, the source of any kind of development, productivity, and growth is going to be energy. We need to have cheap, reliable sources of energy. Yeah. And despite the fact that some politicians in the Conservative Party, but even a few in Labour because of the, of the trade union involvement, yeah. are a bit anxious about the headlines on net zero, let me tell you, they still keep going. So I, I we've got this event at the weekend in Battle of Ideas in Buxton. We've got a big debate on energy. And everybody who will come to that, and, that, and people say, you have got an echo chamber, but ordinary mm. people... Want cheap, reliable energy. Yeah. Think net zero is a complete waste of time, and the politicians say a few things to keep them happy. I can assure you, in the Lords, every single time anything comes up, they promise we will stick with net zero. Target. Yeah, of course they do. But it's we believe the also is a couple, very quick stories, couple of quick stories. A couple of quick stories
2: just to jump in with before, because we haven't yeah, got long to go. Sorry. A couple of minutes. Um, big story in um, in the Netherlands. Um, that's Geert Wilders, who not everybody will have heard of, but who's quite a big figure on the right uh, of, of European politics, has had a bit of a, a big win in the general election, hasn't he?
15: Absolutely huge story, this, because, mm. it. first of all, Geert Wilders is uh, a right-wing populist politician. Yeah. He's certainly not to my taste. In fact, he's controversial at home. Yeah. He is more explicitly anti-Muslim, mm. and I don't mean anti-Islamism. He is actually anti-Muslim. Right and therefore, you know, uh, something of a a, a problem. But I think it sums up the times that we live in that because people are desperate to shake up mainstream politics and because of what's happening in relation to Israel and so on, that, uh, that and, the, and the rise of Islamism, that Geert Wilders can command a huge lead. Yeah,
7: and there's a lot. There's a lot of issues way beyond the issue of Islamism that oh, have yeah, fed into yeah. his his support. Yeah. And you know, I think it's particularly important that it happened in Holland, which we, you know we all think of as a lefty lovey. Yeah, you know, uh, but um, think, that's all as changing but as well as if you? it can happen in Holland, yeah. you know, it can happen anywhere.
2: Well, we were saying last night, Michelle Barnier now is advocating for um, a reduction in the pr- in the power of the EU, yeah. and the individual yeah. countries should actually have more control over. Immigration. Well, you Where's only. It? Yeah, you well, only about
16: have about twenty seconds. So, well, you only have to see what happened with the Dutch farmers as well and the BDB. Yeah. There's a sense of uh, popularity around people whose voices are not being heard. Technocrats imposing yeah. restrictions, and we're seeing that manifest. We saw it with Maloney. We're seeing it in different parts yeah. of Europe. I think there's some very worrying things when you say you're going to shut mosques down. That's not the route that people yeah. who want to have freedom and democracy should take. But these are the big questions we have to address right. and deal with them. And got to be a done. wilderness Listen, guys.
15: Yes, yeah,
16: yeah. thank Good. you. Uh, The EU
2: could well be, it could be the beginning of the end. Who knows? Uh, Anyway, thank you very much indeed, guys. Uh, That's all from me tonight. You've been watching The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Uh, I'll see you tomorrow at 9pm. Good night.